Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, welcome to the sixth edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. My sincere apologies, my people. I was missing in action and I had promised that I would find as an expert to delve a little bit further on loss and damage. And honestly, that was not possible, but I have been in some hideout and I have a lot, a lot for you. Okay. But before we proceed, I would like to take a minute to pay my tribute to one of the iconic climate justice champions whose effort has inspired me for the last 10 years. I have been on this climate reporting journey. Professor Salem Haq, the director of the International Center for Climate Change and Development, who rested this weekend. Professor Haq has championed for many years climate justice issues for the most vulnerable in developing countries and immensely contributed to the climate finance push as well as the loss and damage. And it's unbelievable that he won't be attending the upcoming 28th Climate Summit in Dubai well, we are expecting the push for the loss and damage fund, operationalization, and the new collective quantified goal on climate finance to take the center stage. Well, mm. rest well, Professor Huck. Thank you so, so much. You really did inspire many, many, many of us. And now to today's episode. Now, Lake Olbolosat is the only lake in Kenya's highlands situated in Nyandarwa County, about three and a half hour drive from Kenya's capital center, Nairobi. The lake is situated in the valley between the northwestern slopes of the Abadea range of mountains and the Dondori Ridge. The lake forms the headwaters of the Ewasonyiro North Basin, Kenya's largest basin, offering a variety of habitats ranging from open waters through floating marshes and swamps, open grasslands and riverline forests along rivers and springs that feed the lake. The lake had completely dried up, but um, with uh, some rains, the lake is receiving some floodwaters. The lake is kind of getting back a little bit of its life back. Now, one of the unique things about the Lake Olbolosat is that it has both fresh and saline waters that never mix at any given time. It is also an internationally recognized wetland as a key biodiversity area. It is Kenya's 61st important birds areas with over 300 bird species. It is a breeding site for endemic and endangered birds and an international flight corridor for migratory birds. Among the birds nesting here, are the gray-crowned cranes. The gray-crowned crane is categorized as endangered in the IUCN red list. These birds are non-migratory, however, they undertake local and seasonal movements and are most abundant in Uganda, in Kenya, and Tanzania. On my recent trip to Nyandara County, I caught up with George Ndongo, the Cranes Conservation Volunteers founder and director, and Dongo is here telling us more about their work uh, with local communities to protect these beautiful birds and the benefits accruing to the local communities. My name is George Dongo Mugai. I'm the founder and the director of Prince Conservation Volunteers, an organization that uh, focuses on uh, conservation of uh, the endangered gray crown crane, a species that is uh, one of the key species found in Lake Oroborosat. 
how it started it was way back in uh, 2014 and i was privileged to attend one of the the national wide crane census in one of the east african countries and uh, we went around almost one month and we only found only two cranes the entire country and uh, this thing bothered my mind so much because i was raised near Lake Borosat and it was normal for you to see the great grand crane even i remember when i was young every morning and every evening you could see frogs and frogs of crane in the morning moving out of the lake and in the evening coming back to the lake in a vision you know making calls in a company of other birds like egyptian goose but uh, along the way we didn't realize that these species are endangered so when i came back from burundi i needed to know then if this is the case in that country what about Le Corborosat? What is the survival status for this, this species in Le Corborosat? And in 2015, all the way to early 2016, I did a general survey of the, the, state, the survival status of uh, the Grey Crown Crane in Le Corborosat. The estimates that I came up with, it was about between 600 to 900 cranes within Le Corborosat. And uh, more than 100 pairs that comes in Le Corborosat until now for breeding, if they have a suitable habitat for breeding, of a hundred pairs. It is really, really threatened in Le Corborosat. Mainly, it was about the, by the local community, but it was not intentional. You can say 90% or 95% was unintentional. People, the way they used to interact with the cranes, but then they didn't realize that uh, this is a lot of threats that uh, we are using to this species. Uh, the threats, mainly, the key one was about the poaching, collecting of eggs, there was also poaching of, uh, of live birds. There was also other threats related to habitat degradation, especially due to the overgrazing. And you find that the gray crown crane for the last 45 years, the population has gone down by over 45%. Now, once you got back and noted all these threats, what efforts did you do to inspire these communities to volunteer and protect these birds? Yeah, what we did, uh, when that survey was going on, at times it was so painful that uh, as you do, we collect the data, as we do the survey, you know this is an endangered species and you find a nest and along the way you find that this nest, the eggs were just collected. So it was somewhat painful. So we had to sensitize the local people. By then, those people that were using the, those key areas for the cranes, especially the breeding, those were the grazers. You also had uh, the fishermen, riparian landowners, and also the student, if it's about the grazer and uh, he finds a nest, he cannot correct the eggs. If he finds somebody who is going around looking for wildfowl eggs, then he tells him, hi guy, please don't do this. And that those threats gradually stopped. And along the way, all around the lake, we had a network of uh, many volunteers, people, more than a hundred, people that were voluntarily participating in, in eliminating threats. To the cranes and uh, in 2015 that is when the, the name cranes conservation volunteers came in because there are a lot of people they have embraced that call to protect these species on a voluntary basis on of, of which it doesn't cost them anything if it's about the poacher or it's a, just a neighbor who is a poacher you just approach him and tell him you guy please don't do it it is long so you're also participating if maybe it's a fisherman and then he finds a nest he reports to us this is okay. He's doing it on a voluntary basis and it doesn't cost him 
anything because as he move on with his uh, daily daily alert if it's about uh, the student also during the weekends those that are in uh, in uh, day school when they go to graze they also look and uh, and see is there any problem that this species is facing and they no longer go and take the chicks you see so voluntarily people started embracing the conservation of these species and for, for now we don't know the number of people who are doing this because one of our major approach is community sensitization which you use lectures in uh, in schools especially in primary school and secondary school during the community meetings you know during the community gather public gatherings and it has really really helped a lot so we don't know the number of people because somebody may be seated in that meeting and uh, he doesn't talk but when he goes back home he knows that there is that are there and he voluntarily say from now i'm not going to be doing this but the result we can see because like for example when we were doing the survey the great crown crane in lekoroboroso population when uh, we get uh, sufficient lay at the start of the long lay that is from april by june we start recording the are breeders the first nest we start recording in june we go all the way and the last chick fledge in uh, the latest that is in, in february so when we come in 2015 2016 breeding season we didn't record any chicks that fledged and yet you used to see the nests but along the way you find this pair is nesting but again when you come two three four days after when you are moting the routine then you find no more eggs there even at times the guys that were collecting the egg they arrived before you and you could see them from far and then arriving there you find no egg they have already taken them away when they those that hatch then the children when they are not in school especially week, weekends they just see these these are the chicks the normal way children do they go and pick the chicks try to to pray with them some try to take them home and essentially they die so no chick refreshed in 2015 2016 coming 2016 2017 at least we started to see the right because one chick managed to fledge in, in Lake Oroboros and you see that is an addition in the world at least we have we are happy we added one in the world coming in 2017 2018 we recorded 56 chicks fledging from Lake Oroboros alone coming to 2018 2019 then we recorded 84 chicks and the number has been going up and up but uh, around 2018 the weather pattern started changing especially the impact of the climate change and at the same time an invasive species by the name salvinia moresta came in the lake and uh, so it interfered the, the climate change and the invasive species started now interfering with the breeding for for these cranes but remember human induced threats went down but other problem related to climate change and invasive species also rose up and started affecting the breeding the breeding for for the for these species the, the, the gray crown crane you mentioned that among the threats was poaching of eggs and live birds you know some of these community members could have engaged in poaching because there was a market are there benefits accruing directly from conserving these cranes that is inspiring this community to protect these birds for example uh, there may be challenges related to grazing grazing regime and maybe you want this community because you cannot be everywhere you know just to take part so the, around that area we find a, a bright student but very needy 
And of course, we also do in consultation with the village elders also, if it is, it is, it is okay. And then we also uh, liaise with the schools. If it's about the performance, the discipline of this student is about the teacher who will, will give us this information. And we pay a one-year school fees, three terms. Yeah, there in, in as a give back, this family basically we don't uh, we don't uh, task the student to you know to participate in you know practical conservation of these species, but their parents, all the neighbors, if they hear that this this child has received a one-year scholarship, then the community will try as a give back as they, to fulfill their side of again, to eliminate the threats that may be within the community. It's even in terms of uh, the grazing, you know, livestock, it's a problem for the breeding. So they say now, you guys, because here, this is where they have active nest. For this time, like three weeks or four weeks, let us not take our livestock there. Just avoid, just keep off. The livestock because they understand the, the benefits but this is just a scholarship it started way back in 2017 so far over 100 uh, homestead have benefited since we started over 100 students oh. in laikipia in yandarwa county and also in laikipia because the birds they don't know the boundaries they move around in, in crisscrossing the counties Fantastic. When you mention grazing, as you speak, there are herds of cows and sheep all over the lake grazing. Please briefly explain the impact grazing has on birds given this lake is an important bird area and these grasses found here are very important for their nesting. They trample on eggs, they break the eggs, they kill the chicks, even sometimes, especially those birds that uh, use the heap of vegetation to make the nest, you find the livestock, they come and just not the eggs, but they just come and destroy the nest and then they eat as a pasture. And also when livestock are moving everywhere, they are disturbing the incubating bird. And you find that at the end, the egg will come sterile, no hatching. And also when we don't have enough grass or enough vegetation in the liparian, then the livestock and the hippopotamus, they'll consume the aquatic vegetation inside the wetland where the cranes breeds. So crane conservation volunteers work directly with local people who are mainly volunteers. How does this work and do they undertake any training? We have conducted uh, like three trainings but this is to, to the specific people because the system is uh, we have uh, the representatives. We have our own representatives, different villages. And uh, because if there are like 10 people and they say we are conserving the birds within that village, they can have their own mechanism of eliminating threats. And maybe they choose out of their will, or we appoint one person who is uh, more on behalf of them and uh, is accepted by them, so that that person will be communicating directly instead of each and everyone in the village. And uh, we have conducted one of the training through a project by the National Museum of Kenya on uh, how they should pass the message to the local people, different avenues they can use, different techniques. We also have some, uh, especially when we are collecting the data, we have also those that have already been trained how you know, to, to use the GPS, how to feed the, the, the data with the computer. We also have some, we have trained how to use the binoculars, field aids, now, earlier on, you mentioned that a new threat to your conservation work amid the human-induced climate change is an invasive species. Please tell us more about this and uh, what are you doing to tackle this threat? 
Salvinium monester is an invasive weed or commonly known as a cariba weed. It's native to South America. And uh, one can ask uh, himself, how did it get itself here? Mostly it's about the birds migrating. And of course, even the ship, the cargo ship coming from uh, Caribbean, and maybe they carry the poles. And then when they dock in Mombasa, seeds are dropped there. And then the birds from Mombasa, they, you know, the birds migrate, they come inland and then they spread the, the seeds. The conducive environment for these species to thrive well, mostly it's inside the wetland that has a lot of nutrients. And if you look where Lake Koroborosat is located, the community around, all the way from the catchment, the neighboring community, they are farmers and they use the chemical fertilizer. And you see all the water, coming from their farms, then drains into the lake with a lot of fertilizer. So that automatically offers a very conducive environment for these species to thrive very well. And in 2019, when it came, it's crowded, especially after the wrong rains. And you can see why after the wrong rains, all the chemical fertilizer or the fertilizers from the farms, they are washed into the lake. And then these weed uh, dries very much. What happens is that Salvinia moresta always chokes other aquatic vegetation and they die and it forms a carpet like on top of the water, which of course affects also other aquatic life like the fish, other, you know, like the insects. And for the cranes, remember, they depend on vegetation for breeding. So if this vegetation is choked and it dies, then they don't have anywhere for breeding. They are not successful in breeding. That's the same thing that started from 2019. We don't have a suitable breeding habitat for the cranes. And uh, for us, in consultation also with the government reed agencies, we thought, because this is a threat, how can we turn it to an opportunity? And how can this also benefit the local community? And we came up with a plan, because it's just a floating weed, if it is removed manually, and then try to find out. Because the local community are now like Koroborosat. These are the farmers. So the, our main entry point would be, how can we use it for farming? And we thought of the biochar, decomposing, harvesting the whole thing, and then through the normal sun drying, and then using the locally available materials, we make a, a kiln to pyrolyze the dry biomass into biochar, which of course has a diverse benefits. Like we know the biochar, 70% is carbon dioxide. So when we are arresting carbon dioxide and putting it back to the soil, then we are also, community will also be uh, contributing or will be participating in climate change, reducing the levels of carbon dioxide in the air. Because with this with Salvinia moresta, as it decomposes, it releases a lot of methane. So we can arrest it. We got a permit. We were given a trial permit by NEMA and uh, we did a trial. We used that biochar to plant vegetables because of the same thing. Also remember, if I am correct, I think uh, most of the health complications we are getting, maybe I can say within Yandarwa, mostly it's uh, out of the eating behavior, that we are not eating the healthy food. We are not eating a lot of vegetables. And I thank government that it has some efforts trying to kind of train the community nutritionists who are the members of the local community, and they are encouraging people mainly to include vegetables in their diet because of the vitamins. But you see, these vegetables are chemically grown. 
So we thought this can be a good entry point for us. And uh, we did a trial how to grow uh, the kale, commonly known as ukumawiki, and also the spinach and uh, capsicum, that's a piripiri hoho, and also the managu, and of course, even the onion. Because these are the basically the common vegetables used by local people here. And it was successful. We didn't apply any chemical fertilizer. We just used biocha as a soil enhancer. And then the produce was three to four times less water was used because biocha, it holds, it retains water. The biocha, again, it holds the nutrients that are used by the plants. Unlike the chemical fertilizer, where the fertilizer maybe after two months or one month when it, it rains, then the nutrients, they reach, but the biota hold it. So that was a, an entry point, and uh, now we are in the process that uh, through the authority, we can get a, a permit for mass harvesting of this weed, but let the community do that. Because on top of that, we have already trained six villages how to manually harvest the weed, how to sand dry, how to make a locally assembled kill using the locally available materials and affordable, very cheap, and then how to use the Salvinia moresta biochar for growing of vegetables. Right, you mentioned methane gas, and I saw you have a biodigester testing in your offices. Now, research shows that household air pollution associated with biomass such as wood and charcoal mainly used by these communities that you're working with for cooking is responsible for approximately 4 million deaths every year globally. And the low and middle income countries are mostly impacted. Does this mean that CVV is exploring the Salvinia molester high methane content to produce biogas? Yeah, they are there for now, because all these ways is about to remove the Salvinia molester and use it as a, an opportunity. And uh, basically, if you talk about the biogas, you don't necessarily use only the animal dung. You can also use the wet biomass. And then Salvinia moresta, when it is harvested, is a wet biomass and it contains a lot of methane when it is decaying. So we are in the process looking for it because these are the, the biogas or the digester, they are locally available in Kenya. How now this can be used to produce biogas and this also, if it is successful, remember, this will reduce pressure to our, to our forests. So it's an opportunity that needs a lot of, uh, you know, there are different approaches, yeah? Because again, for the NAVC species, as long as I know, you cannot eliminate 100%. It's only the management aspect, controlling it. So if this works, and this one already has already worked, then within the community, and it almost every dam in Yandarwa, even in Laikipia, you know, all the dams, it's about Salvinia Moresta, Salvinia Moresta. And so this can be turned as an opportunity and at the same time as a way to engaging the local community to conserve the wetlands, because not only for the cranes, wetlands, they also used by the local community. Mm -hmm. Now, Nyandarag County, given its historical high water levels, has a lot of dams. And this Salvinia molester is found on dams that has either an underground spring or a river flowing into these dams, right? You are engaging communities in using um, this invasive species as a biochar, and now you are embarking on its biogas potential. But is there enough of this invasive species to scale up these projects? That is why we are only advocating that if this is an approach for the local community, then in one way or another, if it's about the biogas, it can sustain the community around. Because uh, mainly we cannot go in the commercial way, but at the local consumption, if the bobo, we have enough because it keeps on spreading, spreading, spreading. 
So when maybe within a dam that is within the community land, just one, they can go and harvest and use it. What is the rate by which the wheat is growing? It's uh, very fast. Within two months, it will cover the whole wetland. Within two months. But remember, basically, it will be driven by the amount of the fertilizers, the nutrients inside the wetland. And you see, it's automatically as an evidence. People in Yandarwa, the catchment area for the Koroboros, even part of Raitipia, they are farmers and they are using a lot of chemical fertilizer. And those chemical fertilizers are then, they end up in the wetland. And that is why they are spreading very fast. Now, you have referred a couple of times to the neighboring uh, Laikipia County. And we know that Lake Olbolos that forms uh, the headwaters of the Ewasonyiro rivers that transverse numerous counties downstream. Um, and one of the counties is this Laikipia County. Talk to us about the future of the Korean Conservation Volunteers. Are you moving out of Nyandara County in an inter-county collaboration effort to protect these birds? Uh, based on the knowledge that we have now, birds, they don't know no political boundaries. And the Lekoborosato population, they moved to Laikipia County, they also moved to Nakuru, they also moved to part of Nyeri, or they went to Kiambu and uh, Narok. So we are making sure that wherever this population is, they are safe. And we are trying to learn which is the entry point for other counties. Because like you see in Lekoborosat, poaching of birds was there. But in another county, you find that it's an omen, it's a taboo even to throw a stone to a bird. But of course, there are other nature of threats that, that are happening there. So we are also trying to understand which are the threats now to other counties and what can we do, which is the most appropriate uh, intervention that, that we can do. That was George Ndongo Moigai, founder and director, Cranes Conservation Volunteers, talking to us there about his effort to protect Africa's endangered grey-crowned cranes. Remember, you can always listen to this and many more Africa Climate Conversations podcast episodes on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, our website www.africaclimateconversations.com and every other platform you access your other podcasts from. Also remember, sharing is caring. So please remember to share this podcast with a friend as well as interacting with us, our socials, Africa Climate Conversations on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and my personal LinkedIn handle Sophie Mbogwa. I will see you soon. Kwaheri for now. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations.